Hey there, welcome to The Third Seat. This is the show where we have open and honest dialogues with experts who have a unique perspective to share straight to you. I'm your host, Daniel Trinum with Croft and & Frost, and I'm excited to bring you today's episode. As always, all links as well as relative information will be in the description of this episode down below. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's join into the conversation. All right, well, welcome back everyone to The Third Seat. Uh, my name is Daniel Trinum. I'm with Croft and & Frost, and I will be your host today uh, on today's episode. And today, uh, I have a very special guest with me uh, here in the studio with us. He is someone who uh, I've gotten to correspond a little bit over uh, the past few weeks and past few months, and someone that when I initially reached out to him, uh, I was driven to him just because of his level of expertise in, uh, in his field of uh, study and his field of work. Uh, but along with that, he just getting to know him a little bit, he's been a very uh, kind individual, someone that has taken the time to uh, get to know me a little bit uh, and get to explain what he does, uh, get to explain uh, the field that he works in. Uh, and on that note, uh, you know, the field that he works in is, is something that is, I believe is growing a lot, uh, something that has been talked about a lot more in the public discourse, something that uh, a lot of individuals have been more open about and something that I'm really excited to uh, talk, talk about and talk to today. Uh, my guest today is someone who, he is a uh, licensed professional counselor uh, and along with that he specializes in helping and treating individuals who suffer from things such as PTSD, uh, anxiety, uh, anxiety disorders, eating disorders, substance abuse disorders, and all other different kinds of things. He, uh, on a, you know, on a f fairly frequent basis, will uh, interact with individuals who are seeking help, counseling, in all different areas. And I really hope that uh, our conversation today is something that whoever listens to this will find fruitful, will find helpful, and uh, maybe we'll uh, you know, encourage someone to seek the help that they may need for whatever's going on in their life. So, uh, Chris, Chris Harris, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, no problem. So, I know I gave a brief uh, introduction for what you do uh, and the work that you've done, and obviously there's a lot more to your story than just that, but for those that aren't aware, just, if you don't mind, just give a little bit of background on you and what you do and how you got to where you are and, and anything that you got going on in your life right now. Yeah, I was going to say, you did a great job. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I try not to steal too much of the thunder, but I want to give a little bit of description, you know? Yeah, um, well, maybe specifically, I have a PhD in counseling, mm -hmm. and um, I'm originally from Chattanooga. Mm -hmm. um, didn't grow up here, but was born here, and then came back um, to write my dissertation, and um, ended up staying, and kind of starting a family, mm -hmm. and we've been here ever since. Um, but yeah, I, I have uh, worked for many years with people with addiction, mm -hmm. um, eating disorders, um, post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. So very, very familiar with those conditions mm -hmm. and um, you know the different types of uh, treatments mm -hmm. that are that are done to treat those mm -hmm. um, with people. Um, yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. Cool, cool. So, um, obviously, I am no expert in any of those fields, but for whatever reason, I do find myself interested in fields like that because I think a lot of it, every, every case seems to be, at least from my perspective, every case, every individual that uh, deals with things like that, it's, it's always different. It's, it's not the same for every single person, uh, and everybody's experience with it is different. What what, just what drove you to want to work and study in this field? Uh, with it being such a just 
at least on the surface, uh, a, a very complex field uh, with, you know, obviously you're dealing with just the technical aspect of things, the studies of it all, mm. uh, but also the human side of things, the, the human, uh, the kind of unpredictable side of things where you don't know necessarily how each, uh, you know, individual that you work with is going to react to different things. What, what drove you to want to study this field and eventually make a career out of it? Well, I think you bring up a really good point in that people don't all fit into one box. Mm -hmm. And that means that the treatment's always not gonna fit in one box. Mm -hmm. and, and that's been something that um, is, is with, with an experienced therapist, they usually are trained in a, in a variety of modalities mm -hmm. and will kind of cater those modalities mm -hmm. to the presentation of the mm -hmm. patient. Um, I think in some ways it'd be nice if I was trained in blank mm -hmm. and I tra treated everyone with blank yeah. and, and it worked for everyone, um, it would be more simple. But mm -hmm. I think to answer your question, I got into the field partially because I think that human beings are the most interesting thing there is. Yeah. And I'm sure some people would disagree with me <laughs> and say that frogs are the most interesting thing. <laughs> Um, for me, it's humans yeah. and and also myself. Mm -hmm. um, I distinctly remember in, in uh, graduate school or undergrad uh, them talking about self-actualization mm -hmm. as if it was um, you know something you could reach and um, in doing your own work you could do that. So that had been like a an early like oh that's mm -hmm. cool that yeah. sounds like something that I'd like to do. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think I like to talk in class too mm -hmm. much. And <laughs> you and me both. You and me both both have a, a, an interest in talking. You know? <laughs> and uh, some of the professors like that and yeah. some of them different, didn't. Uh, so my questions were really real, well received mm -hmm. in, in my psychology courses. Mm -hmm. I actually, I was in, a, I was in computer science um, Bless your heart. <laughs> yeah. I ended up with a minor in computer information systems. Yeah. Um, I went home, which home was Hawaii for me. Wow, not too bad. <laughs> oh, no, it was, a, it was a great. It's a yeah. great, it's a beautiful place. Yeah. Um, and I went there for a summer and took um, a psychology course at University of Hawaii mm -hmm. in Manoa, and um, I just fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. Came back, switched my major, and never looked back. Yeah. Was it was was this something that like you know you bring up? I've told this story numerous. I may have even said it on here before, but uh, you brought up you you did, took some computer science uh, courses. And when I originally uh, started in college, I was a computer engineering major. Mm -hmm. And spoiler alert, it did not. I did that's not <laughs> what I ended up finishing uh, in. Um, but you know, I, I think it's funny oftentimes like. I've met very few people that have said, like, you know, at a young age, like, oh, I want to do this. Like, I'm going to be an astronaut one day. And yeah. then, like, they actually end up doing that. Just right. because, like, that's, it, you know, your, your interests change and your, you know, what you're good at changes. I mean, you know, yeah. every, everything about you changes over time. Was this something that you, from an early age, were interested in? Like, your, you know, your own psyche or, or the, the, the thoughts and uh, minds of other individuals? Or is this something that, over time, you grew more, uh, grew more interested in and felt drawn towards? Because like I said, when I, mm -hmm. I don't know what it was about computer engineering that drew me towards it, but I learned very quickly it was not for me. Yeah. So <laughs> it was not, you know, uh, what I'm doing now is not necessarily what I thought I would be doing, uh, you know, maybe 10 years ago, uh, yeah. which, you know, I'm still fairly early on in my career. But for you, was that something that 
uh, from that you can see it from a young age was something that you were drawn towards, or was it something more mm-hmm. uh, like you said later on, maybe in in college or, or in high school that you were you were yeah, drawn towards? Yeah, I, I think <laughs> I think I wanted to be a marine biologist, <laughs> um, which is cool because I ended up doing volunteer work at um, a place called Sea Life Park. Yeah, um, have you ever seen that movie Fifty First Dates? I actually haven't seen it. I know what it is. Okay. Uh, I, I have it, not seen it, it though. It's where Adam Sandler works. Yeah. Um, so I worked at that park. I did volunteer work, and I worked with this. Um, oh, um, I'll forget her name, but it was a. Uh, it was. I think it was like a half whale, half dolphin. Um, a very smart animal. Yeah. And um, when I would teach like the grade school kids. Mm-hmm. Um, it would, so, you know, we have like an easel with like our little PowerPoint thing. Mm -hmm. And so it, it could know you just Mm -hmm. by looking at you. So it would remember your face, which was kind of mind blowing to me. Um, I don't know, just because it was a dolphin or wolfin or whatever they, whatever (laughs) it was. Um, A Dale. Dale, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so it would try to distract me while I was teaching with the kids. It would take like a pebble or it would just do some goofy stuff behind me because we were um, on that uh, place there on the campus. They have a fake ship. Mm -hmm. So you go down below it and then, you know, you can see and interact with the, you know, whatever animals are are under there. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I would teach these little grade school kids and um, it would try to like distract us and then, you know, try to entertain us to get food or mm-hmm. whatever but um yeah i don't know why i was telling you that story <laughs> oh yeah because yeah. you asked me why i you know uh, yeah. i thought yeah i think i want to be a marine biologist i'm probably happy that i didn't do that mm-hmm. um, or didn't work with animals because i i have heard that can be a really difficult job because mm-hmm. um you know they get sick and you know you have to put them down and mm-hmm. there's the captivity piece so yeah. um I think I saw a documentary that was like, wow, that seems yeah. like that would be a really tough job. Yeah. Um, especially if you care a lot about animals. Yeah. Um, I've heard that I've heard that mental health rates and, and veterinarians mm-hmm. or depression is really high. Mm-hmm. And again, that's just what I've heard. Yeah. I don't know for, for a fact, but, um, but then no, I, I, yeah, I just got interested in, in college mm-hmm. and I think I was dating someone that was, was on psychology too, so I got to maybe go to a class or something mm-hmm. like that, and then came back to University of Hawaii and took a course, and mm-hmm. it was yeah. Well, it's funny to me that you say I didn't want to be in marine, you know, marine biology because that job just seemed a little hard to me. But I look at <laughs> I look at an individual like you. I mean, like you said, you've obviously got your PhD with someone that recently just graduated from college. Anybody that has any doctorate in anything, I'm I have the utmost respect for because I know it's no easy uh, easy feat uh, to to accomplish that. But like along with that, what what we talked about a little bit before was like. The field that you work in, you're you're working with humans on an on an every I mean you know in every almost every field you do that, but not just from the sense that like you know you're it's it's transactional or anything like that, but you're working with very intimate details of someone's life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're working with their emotions. You're working with uh, maybe things that they're not so comfortable talking about to maybe even individuals in their own family. I mean that's a, that's a very mm-hmm. intimate job, you know. And so to me, it's like holy cow, man! Your jo- like your job doesn't sound much easier than that, but mm-hmm. you know, than than like a than like a marine biologist or anything like that. But uh, to me, I think it just highlights the importance of what you do. Uh, full disclosure: I personally have never been to any 
form of you know uh, professional therapy or anything like that. Not that I'm against it or anything. I know we briefly mentioned this, but I just never have. Uh, it's no, nothing that I'm against. But I am curious about it. Like I'm curious about um, what it's like. Uh, I mean, I, it, again, it's going to be different for every individual, every no. you know, uh, every uh, therapist in, in, in every field. But I'm curious, like. Uh, what what is it like just for you on the other side of things? Uh, what what is it like being on the other side of these individuals that I'm assuming likely open up a lot of intimate details about their lives? And just from your perspective, with just how uh, how how public uh, this this uh, this field has become uh, in in the public discourse and how open uh, people are to talking about it now? Again, there's still uh, a lot of you know room to grow, obviously, but it's become a more uh, op- you know a more less taboo subject, I guess would be the best way to put it in the public discourse. Mm. Uh, what do you see as the you know the main importance of of a field like uh, what you're in for uh, the public? I know that was kind of a loaded question, um, mm. but yeah, just first, of all, like, what's it like for you on the other side of things, if that makes sense, on the other side of the of the room? Um, I I feel most of the time very humbled and honored mm-hmm. when, like you said, someone shares intimate details mm-hmm. with me um, in, in the need and want to, mm-hmm. to receive help and get help. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, part of why I believe therapy works is that, um, and you might have noticed this, I think, you know, family or friends if they've ever gone to a therapist, mm-hmm. but um, and I think there's probably an Instagram account that says that's called "My Therapist Says" mm-hmm. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I've seen those before. Right. Yeah. yeah. So my therapist says blank, yeah. blank, blank. Yeah. Well, um, I sometimes explain to patients, you know, part of how therapy works is that the therapist hasn't hurt them, mm-hmm. and so um, if I was your brother or your dad or your cousin, and I'd be like, "Hey, man, stop smoking cigarettes. Yeah. You know, it's gonna da 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 da." You are hearing that from someone that you've got history, yeah. maybe baggage with, or whatever mm-hmm. it is, and in one ear or out the other. Yeah. yeah. Um, but if you're going to a therapist for a specific issue mm-hmm. and you're building trust, that, that person hasn't brought pain upon you mm-hmm. in, in, in those ways. And so you can really be open and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a saying that. Uh, they say uh, in addiction treatment that uh, your secrets keep you sick. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot oh, of yeah. wisdom to that statement. Oh, yeah. um, and so having a place to, to um, kind of unload some stuff mm-hmm. and process some stuff yeah. and really kind of figure things out um, that you may not have known were, mm-hmm. were you know, part of the solution or mm-hmm. part of the problem. Yeah. Well, it, it's, what comes to mind is kind of a weird picture, but like, it's almost like you as the therapist or whoever uh, is, is in that role is almost like a blank canvas and whoever comes in is, is there to make whatever emotional or, or whatever, whatever, whatever's inside of them to make, make the painting however they need to, you know? Mm. You're there to receive whatever it is they need to express mm. at that moment. And I think it's really cool that, that what you just said about uh, secrets make you sick. I am, <laughs> it's funny, uh, I, I am, Get it, you know, I, me personally, I think I'm getting better at, but something I've all my life been very bad about is like expressing 
like how I really feel about something in the mm-hmm. correct way, you know. Uh, a lot of times, which I'm sure, I know I'm not the only person, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll have a tendency to keep things bottled up and be like, no, that's just, it's not the time. Like I don't mm-hmm. need to, you know, talk about this right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like you said, like at some point that stuff's gotta come out, you know, uh, and, and when you keep it keep it all bottled up like in, like that inside, eventually like a balloon, if you keep inflating and inflating and inflating, you're gonna, you're gonna burst at some point. Um, and that's why I say like, again, I've never, you know, been to any professional uh, therapy session or anything, so this is totally not from personal experience, but I can see how having someone like that who is a total blank canvas, they don't know anything about, I mean, if this is your first, you know, uh, visit, I'm assuming, mm. they don't know anything about you. They don't know, you know, they're not your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, anybody. They don't know anything about you. They don't know where you come from. They don't know, you know, the first thing about you except what you look like when you walk in. Uh, but allowing that person to let out whatever is inside of them and you be the, the recipient of that. Uh, that's, that's a really cool idea, I think, uh, as, as weird as that may sound, to allow yourself to kind of be the emotional punching bag to a degree. <laughs> that's kind of a, a weird way of looking at it, but um, I, just, I just think that's really cool. Uh, you know, yeah, I think sometimes I'll say to clients, um, you know, they'll, they'll kind of tell me what's going on mm-hmm. initially and, um, you know, where their head's at, what they want to do, and um, they'll say something similar like, you know, I don't really talk about this very often or with anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of keep it bottled up inside. Mm-hmm. I'll push it down and mm-hmm. put it away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not really sure I want to do therapy mm-hmm. or I'm not really sure about this. Or, or and, and I think it's good to have some trepidation, mm-hmm. some you know, good realistic anxiety about mm-hmm. um, starting therapy because therapy um, sometimes or a lot of times can get worse before it gets better. But um, I'll say to them, so how has that been working for you? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's kind of like, well, mm-hmm. it's not, and that's why I'm here. Yeah. Um, because you're right, you know, wherever you put it, it's still gonna be there mm-hmm. in you. Yeah. And it will, I, I say, eventually it'll come out sideways yeah. in yeah. a way that either you don't expect or have no insight into or mm-hmm. or you're aware that it's a bad habit and mm-hmm. you know it's not healthy and that's yeah. what, something you want to change yeah i think especially with people maybe in my generation or you know re- you know relatively close to my age uh kind of how i mentioned earlier again i don't have any you know hard fast numbers on this but it seems like this idea of of being more open about going to therapy whatever you know form that may take whether it's just um a general therapist or it's more specialized, you know, whether mm. it's for anxiety or PTSD or, or, or whatever, uh, it seems to be, you know, less taboo. It seems to be more open for discussion and more uh, accepted in, in, in the public discourse. Mm. What do you, as, as someone, you know, on the other side of the room, make of, make of that? As, you know, I don't know how long you've been necessarily working in this field, but, mm-hmm. you know, as you see it kind of grow, not necessarily in popularity, but in, in public acceptance, what do you make of that uh, as someone that works in a field that used to be somewhat taboo and is, and is beginning to be uh, accepted more publicly out in, out in the open and out in the public? Yeah, I think education has been a big piece of it. Um, you know, we, we typically mock what we don't understand. Um, and as we understand it more, as we're, people are educated more into that, mm-hmm. um, then there's that awareness that comes and you can knock some of the stigmas down. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of the stigmas still exist, but not to where they were mm-hmm. 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, in COVID, 
I was working um, at a treatment center uh, where we treated addiction and eating disorders, mm -hmm. and we saw a 40% increase in our eating disorder clients. During like 2020? Um, or like during, in yeah, I would say summer of 2020 mm -hmm. to, you know, yeah. probably still now. Yeah. Um, so a pretty, and, and that was felt industry-wide. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think, um, I mean, now here in Chattanooga, um, from what I can tell when I try to make referrals, um, sometimes, you know, people are in wait lists and people have closed their wait lists. Mm -hmm. I know that's happening. I saw an article just the other day of people in California, they don't even have wait lists anymore because their wait lists are full. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's definitely an in-demand. Mm -hmm. Much like I think their, uh, you know, nurses are in demand mm -hmm. right now, physicians are in demand. Mm -hmm. um, uh, COVID really did a number on mental health. Mm -hmm. um, and, and my feeling um, is that we're just seeing the first ripple mm -hmm. of that and that you're going to see ripples from COVID, mm -hmm. you know, 10, 20 years out. Um, you know, I, I hope I'm not, I'm, I hope yeah. I'm, you know, it's not that way, but no. to me, it seems like it, um, you know, d mental disorders are, are disorders of stress. Mm -hmm. So you can have um, a genetic predisposition for anxiety, depression. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, what we, what we typically think of how they originate is through, um, a variety of things into a perfect storm. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, it's kind of like a nature versus nurture uh, conversation to it. Yeah, kind of. so, you know, maybe parents had, yeah. you know, depression and um, maybe the child experienced a traumatic event when they mm -hmm. were, you know, before they were 18 um, and came to their parents and their parents said, oh, you'll be fine, mm -hmm. you know, pick yourself up, don't, you know, I don't want to hear that crying yeah. or whatever, yeah. whatever yeah. it is. And so, what happens with that is, um, you know, the, the child isn't able to process it, mm -hmm. make sense of it, yeah. integrate it. Um, and by integrate, I mean, you know, like, okay, this bad thing happened to me. I'm a pretty strong person. I can get, I can get through it. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, um, and kind of make some meaning out of it. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that could be really important for an adult to help a child do. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> But if that doesn't happen and there's trauma and they made genetic susceptibility, mm -hmm. and then let's say they get to college and they fail out their first semester, mm -hmm. um, big stressful event, um, put those three things together, yeah. and then let's say they haven't been sleeping well um, and they're just kind of eating, you know, mm -hmm. just pizza yeah. or I don't know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's a really a perfect combination yeah. for someone to start developing some symptoms. Yeah. Um, and, you know, with mental disorders, it's not like we can say, here's a blood test and you have, mm -hmm. you know. It's not black and white like that. Right. Yeah. And if you start, you know, if you drew a circle and you put all the symptoms of depression in that circle, mm -hmm. and then you drew another circle, you put all the symptoms of PTSD, mm -hmm. what you'd find is very overlapped circles yeah. and then bipolar is overlapping mm -hmm. both those mm -hmm. and so um, so you what you would have is a, a propensity to develop a mental health condition mm -hmm. um, so yeah so that's kind of how they yeah. 
they get started yeah. often. Yeah, you, you brought up uh, you know the initial, the onset of the pandemic back in 2020 and just everything that's happened uh, since then. And in a weird way, at least regarding uh, you know the uh, mental health of everybody at large, uh, but also down to an individual scale. I think there's been some good and some bad come of it. You know, obviously the bad is like a lot of us were confined to our apartments or our houses or our bedrooms for some extended amount of time or we didn't get to see loved ones or we weren't able to go uh, maybe work at the job we want to work at or we weren't able to do whatever. We weren't able to be as active as we want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and obvi- you know, for fairly obvious reasons, that, that can take a physical, emotional, and mental toll on anybody. I would dare say most people that lived through 2020 probably uh, it, was, it took some toll on them in, in some way. But at the same time, I would say, and again, this is just you know anecdotal, just from personal experience. Like in some ways, it was good for me, and I, I would imagine for others as well, that we're able to have a little bit of time, just kind of thinking about yourself, where you're at in your life, just to have that alone time. Because uh, even though it may have not been alone time we asked for, uh, it, 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 it came nonetheless. You know, uh, it, it reminds me of how uh, I don't know if it's it's not talked about as much, but you know, uh, in tw- in 2021, there was this whole thing of the, the great resignation uh, of people. You know, they'd be at their jobs and they'd say, "I don't want to. I don't want to work here." Like I, I've I've lived through a pandemic. I realize like my employer doesn't care about me. I don't care about them. I don't get paid enough. I don't like what I do here. I'm, I'm going to go find something else. Mm-hmm. And I think a similar, I would imagine, a similar trend could maybe be found uh, just with some individuals' uh, mental and emotional and physical well-being because when you're quite literally <laughs> locked in your house, mm-hmm. you're locked in your room and you have nothing but yourself to, to, t- mm-hmm. to think about and to talk about, you have the opportunity to examine what am I doing that could be different? What am I, uh, what am I doing that I should keep doing? What am I doing that I should not keep doing? Um, and the hope from that is that you would be able to take that and improve upon whatever areas need to be improved upon or keep doing whatever you, know, uh, need, you need to keep doing. So I say all that just to say, like, what are, what are your thoughts on that whole idea? Just the kind of the dichotomy of how 2020 impacted uh, the, uh, you know, everybody's mental health and emotional uh, well-beings at large, uh, just due to the unfortunate circumstances that we found ourselves in, not really by choice, if that makes sense. You know? um, well, it sounds like you made meaning out of it. Yeah. You know, you found this opportunity and said, well, I can... Yeah you know, make lemonade out of lemons yeah. here and... Um, not that I'm speaking for everybody, you know, not, not to, yeah. Sure, yeah. but it sounds like that's that's yeah. what you were able to do. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's really cool. Um, uh, you know, I, I think that some of, um, some of the issues specifically with the pandemic would be isolation. Mm-hmm. You know, and you brought that up a couple of times. Um, you know, someone, I, I don't know, probably name your name the disorder mm-hmm. um, being alone with it being isolated not being able to reach out or physically connect with their support system um, was probably one of the biggest issues that that oh, yeah. um, escalated mental health illness. oh yeah for illness. sure for sure um, and then you know um, I gosh we all thought we were gonna die yeah I mean, who yeah. didn't have that yeah. thought? Like, yeah. no, I remember distinctly. I'd go down in the living room and sit there and watch the, you know, like the morning briefings of uh, what's his name that was the the mayor of New York. Uh, just like seeing the numbers and everything, mm-hmm. I was like, what is going on? You know, yeah. it's a, it takes a toll on you. You know, yeah, um, I mean, it's traumatic. I mean, yeah. um, and we were, I guess, 
you know, all searching for who is going to who is going to give us the silver lining mm -hmm. or what what was their hope, you know, um, and that definitely I think mm -hmm. did a number on, on people with anxiety or mm -hmm. or feeling hopeless from depression, um, PTSD, mm -hmm. um, obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm -hmm. Again, you know, name name the condition, and mm -hmm. I could tell you probably how it made it worse. Mm -hmm. um, but I think if, if something came out of the of the pandemic that was good was probably this acceleration of uh, online, mm -hmm. you know, web-based help platforms, mm -hmm. which were already there. Mm -hmm. You know, we had you have TeleDoc, mm -hmm. um, the whole telehealth thing. Mm -hmm. You had um, oh, TalkSpace, BetterHelp. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hear, that, I hear that one a lot. Yeah, yeah. if you're on podcasts, yeah. BetterHelp's all yeah, over it's the everywhere. Place. Yeah. 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 And so, um, I, I, from people, you know, mm -hmm. that, that don't have the, um, well, couldn't mm -hmm. go see a therapist in person, mm -hmm. um, or, you know, didn't have the ability to do that, or, you know, lost their income for that period of time. Mm -hmm. And um, so, and one of the things I was able to do during the pandemic is um, help on a project that um, made eating disorder care more accessible virtually. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things uh, when someone struggles with an eating disorder is um, an obsession around uh, their weight and uh, maybe a number around mm -hmm. their weight. Mm -hmm. And so seeing that number can, you know, have some pretty, you know, detrimental effects mm -hmm. of like, well, that's not the number I want to be at, or that's too much, or that's too low, you know. So, um, there's a, there was a company that had a, a numberless um, scale, and we were experiencing, you know, how are we gonna help our clients mm -hmm. who are now moving to another level of care? So, so I worked in a residential facility. People mm -hmm. would come, they'd stay there overnight mm -hmm. for months, um, and then be treated, and then they'd move down to a lower level of care. Well, that kind of went away. I mm -hmm. mean, with the pandemic, you know, everything was virtual. So mm -hmm. how do we collect biometric data, mm -hmm. blood pressure, pulse, mm -hmm. weight? Um, and, you know, we had different options, you know, mm -hmm. they could buy the equipment themselves and then tell us, you know, mm -hmm. what it was. Yeah. But then, um, you know, there's the numbers and that problem. Yeah. So they found this company and they ended up asking me to come on board and help them develop this scale. And, and that was kind of a bright spot for me during the pandemic to be a part of something that was like, okay, I feel powerless, mm -hmm. anxious, fearful, um, but I can help people mm -hmm. by being a part of this, uh, you know, this product. Mm -hmm. and. And now it's done really great, and we're in you know like 50 states wow. and sold all over the United States, and wow. really helping people. Yeah. Um, because I think you know, if you look at um, disruptive innovation um, platforms like BetterHelp mm -hmm. and and then TalkSpace and Teladoc, yeah. um, those have only expanded and grown. Oh yeah. And their user base has just you know ballooned out, mm -hmm. um, and that access to care is going to be so important because mm -hmm. um, when people start feeling s better they usually have a double take of whether they're going to continue to take their medicine continue to go to therapy mm -hmm. um, 
I have a health coach. Mm -hmm. So when I'm doing really well, and it's you know it's Monday at eight o'clock at night, yeah. and she calls, and I'm like, huh, well, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. I do it. You yeah. know, I signed up for this. Yeah. So there's that thought of like, yeah. I'm doing really well right now. Do I need this? Yeah. Um, and that's a great conversation to have with your doctor and mm -hmm. your therapist because um, they want to know when mm -hmm. you start to feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also it can be really important to sustain the gains that you made. Mm -hmm. So what happens is you, you start to feel better and you're like, all right, I got it. Yeah, I got and the hang you, of this now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then if you're if you haven't sustained those gains or yeah. planned how to sustain them, then you can kind of fall back down. Yeah. And we, we see that we see that often in almost mm -hmm. you know. Oh, and a lot of the treatments. Yeah, you, you brought up uh, just a minute ago just some work that you did with uh, with that you know that you said it was a scale mm -hmm. or, uh, with with you know individuals that uh, may or, or do suffer from eating disorders and uh, you know full disclosure I, I I personally I love food uh, we had for for lunch today we had we had Edley's barbecue here in town and I'm I'm a big big fan of all all any and all food pretty much uh, but growing up you know that was something that. Not that I'm trying to, you know, self-diagnose myself or anything, but like I struggled a lot with, uh, you know, the proper way to eat food and, and you know, my personal health, and, and it, it became a bit of an issue for me uh, whenever I got into like my upper teens, you know, mm -hmm. um, and you know, I never found anyone to like talk to about that per se because part of, you know, there was a small part of me that was like, oh, what I don't know if I should talk to people about this. As someone who is on the other side of things, who you know works in uh, in a field like that and and specializes, uh, you know not only in in eating disorders, but you know you special you do specialize in it. What are some you know uh, some success stories maybe you have of someone that you know, again you don't have to use them by name, but any individuals who maybe came into you know your office or uh, into your place of work and said, hey, this is where I'm starting. I don't really know what to make of it. Uh, I, I'm, I don't really feel great in this area. I don't know what to make of this, but can you help me? Is it what you know? What what options do I have? Uh, are, is there anybody like that that you can, or any stories like that that you can think of that uh, may help anybody listening to this that may be afraid to reach out to someone like yourself, uh, but may think on the inside like, hey, maybe I do need uh, some help. You know. I mean, I'm sure I could I could think of. Um, several people um, sometimes they kind of combine into one person. Yeah, or, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, typically uh, a disorder like a well, a lot of disorders you want to treat it from a, a, a treatment team perspective. Mm -hmm. So um, you know, with an eating disorder, typically there's a dietitian involved, mm -hmm. um, depending on how severe it is. Mm -hmm. um, a psychiatrist often involved as well, mm -hmm. um, and the therapist kind of coordinating and mm -hmm. you know talking in between all three of them, um, because it can be a complicated and, and eating disorders, um, with the exception of um, the you know, the opioid pandemic and mm -hmm. um, or epidemic rather. Mm -hmm. Um, and overdose rates mm -hmm. being so high, eating disorders is the most prevalent, mm -hmm. you know, suicide rate mm -hmm. um, of all mental health disorders. Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty serious condition for someone that has a severe case. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, uh, you know, people with bulimia, 
um, anorexia, I mean, any of the eating disorder conditions mm -hmm. that came in would get this kind of like comprehensive approach mm -hmm. um, and meet with, you know, different practitioners. And um, I, I mean, a lot of them received, um, you know, really great benefits mm -hmm. that, that they were able to get back into school, that they were able to um, refocus on their job um, or their spouse. Mm -hmm. Um, or just live life again, um, mm -hmm. because at, at some point, um, you know, the food or the way uh, and the behaviors completely take over, mm -hmm. and that's all there is. I mm -hmm. mean, similar to like, you know, um, an alcohol condition or mm -hmm. drug condition, where it's just thinking about the drug, fantasizing about the drug, how mm -hmm. I'm going to get the drug. Um, that becomes an all-encompassing thing mm -hmm. in their life. Mm -hmm. What for someone that you know, uh, who, you know, there's no telling who's listening to this. But for anybody that may be listening to this, that uh, may resonate with anything that you've been talking about or that we've been talking about, uh, and and maybe thinking maybe I should reach out to someone uh, like yourself or uh, any other you know licensed professional in your field. What is just some advice or or some some encouraging words that you would give to someone like that? Because again, you know, it, it's not like. Uh, it, the field that you work in is a very intimate field, as we've been saying. It's it's not just like any walk in the park to unpack a lot of uh, the things that may be going on in our individual lives. Uh, it's it's no small feat to even you know even as you said, although you don't know anything about the people that you know, the the new individuals that come into your office, you are still a stranger to them. Uh, you know, and it's no easy feat to begin uh, unraveling these things about your life in front of someone like that. Mm -hmm. What are just some tips or piece of advice or words of encouragement that you would give to someone that may be considering uh, going to a, uh, you know, a counselor or a therapist or anyone, uh, anyone in particular to seek help in whatever, uh, whatever avenue of their life they, they, they believe they need help in? Um, well, I'd say there's hope. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what most people are looking for is relief. Mm -hmm. And, and hope, um, you know, for, for some people, a diagnosis is a really difficult thing. Um, there's a lot of clinicians that, that like to lean away from the diagnostic perspective of giving labels and, but, you know, working with insurance, you know, that's, that's how the world rolls, you know. Um, but there can be advantages to that. You know, some people want a name of like, oh, this is the disorder <coughs> I'm suffering from. Mm -hmm. Thank God there's a name. Mm -hmm. And then here's a person telling me, here are the, my treatment options. Yeah. Um, and I think that can give people a lot of hope. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think the second part of your question. Well, just, is, you know, just if, if there's anybody, you know, you, you mentioned it a little bit, but just anybody that's uh, maybe skeptical or maybe, uh, you know, worrisome about opening up about whatever they're dealing with, just what you would say, you know, it's one thing like, you know, uh, if one of my one of my best friends comes in and is like, hey, I need some help. It's one thing for me, mm -hmm. someone who is not credentialed, who is not licensed, who does not have any expertise in any area to say, hey, man, you should just, you know, you got it. You can toughen up and you can, you can do it. But it's a totally other thing for someone like yourself who works in this field every day, who has the expertise, who sees, who has seen the, the, the wide range of experiences and emotions and human behaviors that uh, likely walk into your office uh, and, and know how to uh, or have some idea of how to deal with individuals no matter what uh, point of life they're in. Just what you would say to someone who may be uh, curious about or maybe uh, considering uh, finding someone 
who is a professional, who is uh, an expert in, in whatever area that they're de- uh, maybe dealing with, uh, what you would say to someone like that? Because I think that's a big, a big hurdle, you know, is, is that final, like, okay, I'm going to make that appointment, or okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to make that phone call. Because uh, it's easy to, at least in my mind, it's easy to address that, yeah, I do have an issue, or I do have a problem, or I do, I do need to improve in this area. But it's a totally other thing to, like, put that, you know, take that first step and say, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to seek out help for this, or I'm going to make that appointment with that doctor. I'm going to speak with that uh, mm-hmm. counselor about this. That's a whole other uh, hurdle to jump over, you know. Um, well, I, I would say I think a lot of people, it's it's not easy to know that, that there is a problem mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of going back to what you were saying, you know, that, that old um, adage of like, you know, pull yourself up by your mm-hmm. bootstraps. Mm-hmm. So what, you know, what's that really saying to someone is stuff it down harder, mm-hmm. you know, bite your lip harder. Mm-hmm. Um, because that, I mean, if, if we knew what to do, you know, we would do it. Yeah. Um, if, if it was a matter of hard work and I knew how to do that and take care of myself, then um, I think a lot of people would do that. Yeah. And I think some people figure it out, um, mm-hmm. you know, in a lot of ways, therapy is, is learning how to be your own therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, but you got to know what to do first. Mm-hmm. And um, I think a lot of therapy is forgiveness of yourself and, and of mm-hmm. others and self-compassion. Mm-hmm. You know, giving yourself a break to make mistakes, mm-hmm. giving yourself a break of like, okay, so here's what I'm suffering with. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we don't know exactly how mental disorders are, you know, all of the ins and outs of them. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, we don't have a blood test, mm-hmm. um, but we are finding out new and better ways to treat people all the time. So, I mean, again, I would say, um, you know, to reach out because there's hope mm-hmm. and there's treatments and mm-hmm. there's treatments that have been tried and true. And, mm-hmm. and then there's treatments like I'm currently working in, mm-hmm. um, working in an off-label mm-hmm. um, drug that's used to be, that's a revolutionary drug that's mm-hmm. using um, to treat people with um, yeah. treatment-resistant depression. Yeah. Um, it's called ketamine. It's an yeah. anesthetic. It's, um, it's used in um, uh, intranasal spray. Mm-hmm an IV drip um, or intramuscular injection. Mm-hmm. And um, we're, I mean, we're really experiencing tremendous results. Yeah. Um, and I'm not a neuropsychologist. Yeah. I'm not a, um, I don't prescribe medication. Mm-hmm. I'm a PhD. Mm-hmm. So I, I know enough to be dangerous about it. And, that, <laughs> and, um, and that's my that. job. I'm going to so. use that term from now on. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Um, talk about that a little bit, just like what, uh, just what results have you seen from that? Because again, t- me being a total outsider, the you know I'm not licensed or experienced or, or any you know form of an expert in 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 this field that uh, that you talk about and that you work in. But mm-hmm. uh, just what are some of the results, and what's your hope for uh, this research that you've been doing, and and the results that you've seen from the work that you've done so far? So um, so it's used off label. Mm-hmm. Um, to treat primarily treatment-resistant depression, but there has shown some efficacy with um, obsessive compulsive disorder, PTSD, anxiety disorders. Um, So initially, I believe the story goes that around 2000, there was a study 
they were trying to use, because ketamine has some psychedelic uh, effects um, from mm -hmm. it, and they were trying to induce psychosis in, in rats. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, it turned out that, um, I don't know, maybe they did or didn't, but these rats became less depressed. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I think the study got shelved and then somebody picked it up and tried something with it. And mm -hmm. that study had such good results that people looked at it and they were like, well, I mean, maybe they did something wrong. Mm -hmm. I don't know, I'm ad-libbing a lot. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, somebody repeated the human study, found pretty consistent results. And then since 2007, I mean, um, ketamine studies in mental health have gone up tenfold. Mm -hmm. Um, so just an explosion in research. Um, you know, since it's used off-label and since it's a pretty cheap and safe drug, mm. very safe drug, um, from what I've been told, it doesn't um, depress the respiratory system. Mm. So um, like other anesthetics may do, a lot of third world countries end up using it because um, they don't have to have respirators or as many respirators mm -hmm. when you know that's used. So. Um, the World Health Organization is a big proponent for, for that, for the medicine, and it doesn't interact with a lot of other medicines mm -hmm. from what I've been told. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really, really safe. They use it in the NICU, they use it with children a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and the side effects are typically gone once mm -hmm. the ketamine is out of the system and it you know, gets out pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So when I'm working with someone and you know, um, the IV is done, it's about 10 or 15 minutes until they can walk mm -hmm. and get up and go to the waiting room. Yeah. Um, so pretty safe medicine. Um, it, some stuff I, I didn't learn in graduate school, or maybe I did and I don't remember. <laughs> um, you mean you forget things too? <laughs> Uh, yes, ask yeah. anyone I know. <laughs> I think I need a, like a walking secretary with me at all times. <laughs> I'm hoping Google will get yeah. so good that it will be able yeah. to help me with some of that. Yeah. But, you know, I'll put something in my calendar. They'll say, you know, hey, do you want to meet for lunch? I'm like, sure, put it in my calendar. And I always will put it for that day. Yeah. And so that day's already passed, yeah. and then I end up missing it, and yeah. so I have to go back and you know reschedule it and stuff like that. But if I don't put it in my calendar, it's not going to happen. Um, so, so what I was saying is, they did this study with rats, um, another study, mm -hmm. and so they they did some scans of their brain and their cells, and you know if you have a, a healthy cell, it's you know it's going to have a pretty fat spine, um, or me, I don't, the language for me, like I'm not a neuropsychologist, yeah. but yeah. it has um, spines coming out of it as well. Mm -hmm. And so you want a, a thick um, one with, with, with spines on both ends and, um, you know, so it can talk to the other cells mm -hmm. and all of that stuff. So what happens, they think, and, and depression is not um, a neurogenitive disorder, mm -hmm. but there, it can, with depression and with stress, these cells can experience atrophy. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, a, a breakdown of the cell, um, or, you know, like atrophy for muscle, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so what they did is they, they measured that pre stress in the rats and then they they put the rat in like a pool mm -hmm. where it couldn't escape and it had to swim for 20 minutes so it mm -hmm. could be 
became really stressed. Poor yeah. rat thought he was going to yeah. die. Yeah. You know, it was terrible. He had to learn how to swim real quick. Yeah. yeah. Well, he had to swim for 20 minutes until they got him out, you know, and he was pretty stressed out. And so then they took another snapshot and they noticed that the dendrite and the spines and everything yeah. had shrunk. Um, and I, th they did that two to three times over two to three weeks. Mm -hmm. So it gave it some time to stress out. Mm -hmm. um, after the initial injection of ketamine, that cell within 24 hours had gone back to its previous state, mm -hmm. if not better. Mm -hmm. um, and so that neuroplasticity, that ability for the brain to mm -hmm. heal and regenerate and form new connections um, was, you know, unbelievable. So, mm -hmm. you know, in that 24 hours. And then they, they, you have what's called like, um, I believe it's like a, a compounding um, effect. So, or maybe it's called a durability effect. Mm -hmm. So what we do at the place I work called Revitalist is we'll do six infusions. That's the standard of care right now. Mm -hmm. And you get one and then within a period of seven days, you'll get two or three. You can do six over two weeks or two a week for three weeks. Mm -hmm. And so you'll get a compounding, a durability effect where, you know, you know let's say your depression is here, after a session, your depression is here, mm -hmm. um, then the next session, it builds upon that next baseline. Mm -hmm. um, and there, there's some inevitable ebb and flow to that, but what, you're, what I typically see is, you know, they come in around, you know, let's say 10, 15 out of 100, mm -hmm. Um, you know, go up 40, come down to 30, go up 50, come mm -hmm. down to 40, yeah. you know. It's like taking two steps forward, one step, like, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's a net positive in mm -hmm. the end, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, recent research out of um, Europe uh, did a comparison study with ketamine um, and found that 50% of their participants um, no longer met criteria for depression after six infusions at five months. Wow. So pretty outstanding yeah, results. that's awesome. Um, and then continue on looking at 12 months, 30% still met remission. Yeah. Um, and that's without psychotherapy. So really mm. just the medicine, yeah. um, no therapist in the room mm -hmm. with them, you know, kind of coaching them through it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, no prescribed therapy or anything mm -hmm. afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you're just taking out the medicine itself, uh, it, pretty dramatic effects. Mm -hmm. um, in the field, 70% efficacy rate is, is a conservative. Mm -hmm. um, now, we don't have longitudinal studies. We don't know how long it lasts, but we do have one up to 12 months. Um, so it's very promising. Yeah. Yeah. And for, for some people that you know, can't take medicine, medicine has failed, mm -hmm. the side effects are too bad, um, don't want to take it anymore. Uh, there's, a, there's more, there's new options. Mm -hmm. um, there's lots of different new options that have been coming out in the past 10 to 15 years. Um, ketamine has probably really exploded over the last five. Mm -hmm. um, and in almost every major city, you're gonna find a, a clinic or two. Yeah. Um, with the Revitalist, they're hoping to really um, incorporate psychotherapy with the ketamine sessions mm -hmm. um, so that it's not just the drug itself. Mm -hmm. And so 
um, and you know, sometimes being that it can have psychedelic properties, you're going to have people that experience hallucinations mm-hmm. um, and need someone to help coach them through mm-hmm. breathing. And yeah. um, there's an element to it that's that's very um, behavioralist mm-hmm. in that, um, like I said, you know, with any patient that comes in, I I say. You, know, you you want to understand that this could get worse before it gets better, yeah. um, because we're talking about let's just use a secret example. We're yeah. talking about the secret. Yeah. So you've been pushing that down yeah. for so long. Now yeah. that we're talking about it, what's going to come back? Yeah. With it? All that emotion, all that mm-hmm. those thoughts, all that fear. Um, and so what? How we kind of coach them through the ketamine is they'll they'll kind of get waves of emotion that mm-hmm. comes in. And um, if they're ready for it and they know what to do, it can be manageable. Mm-hmm. But if not, if, if you just gave someone ketamine and you know closed the door and said good luck, mm-hmm. um, it could you know it could be you know scary. Yeah, it could yeah. be overwhelming. Yeah. And so having someone in there can be a a, um, a great you know option. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, in some research, they didn't have therapists, and and there's clinics that don't have therapists, and people. You still experience pretty dramatic effects, so the medicine goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, behavioralist, behaviorally, cognitive behaviorally, you know, we'll, we'll tell them to lean into that emotion. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I give an example. Have you ever seen like Hunt for the Red October? Uh, I know. I I know the. N- I've heard um, that name, but I don't know myself. exactly what it is. <laughs> uh, you know who Sean Connery is? Yes, okay. yes, yes, yes. Okay, I don't feel that old. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know who he is. I don't, I've, I know the name, but is it, is it a movie? I'm yeah, it's, yeah, it's I'm a saying, movie, I haven't, I haven't uh, Russian nuclear submarine movie. And oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. I haven't seen it, but yes, I, I've, I know what you're talking about now. Okay, yeah. So, so... So Sean is, let's say, he's the, he's the captain, yeah. and he's in the he's on the bridge or whatever mm-hmm. you know the captain's supposed to be, mm-hmm. and um, the radar guys are on both sides of them. They're staring at their screens, mm-hmm. and one and one of them says, you know, uh, Captain, there's a torpedo in the water headed straight for us. Mm-hmm. Um, imagine if Sean Connery says, "I've got a plan. I'm going to take care of it. Yeah. Turn off your radars." How do you think? they would feel? Probably probably worse than they did before. <laughs> I would feel they, worse than we did before. Probably worse. Yeah. But imagine that's what you do when um, you drink away a problem, mm-hmm. when you stuff it down, yeah. when you ignore it, when you um, abuse whatever substance or food or whatever it is to, to avoid it. Mm-hmm. Those radars, that, that, that's part of your system. Yeah. And so what I think happens, this is my analogy, is that you build distrust with yourself. Mm-hmm. And so on that radar screen, if you know a little bit about submarines and radar, mm-hmm. it could be a school of fish. Mm-hmm. It could be a dolphin mm-hmm. or a wolfin. Yeah, or, or, yeah, or a dale. <laughs> it could be anything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or it could be a torpedo. Yeah. Yeah. But if you keep telling the radar guys, I'm not having it, don't tell me any of that, mm-hmm then you don't know if it's a school of fish yeah. or an actual threat. Yeah. Well, you, don't know how to, you don't know how to assess it at that point. You don't yeah. know how to assess it, yeah. you don't know how to manage it. Yeah. And so um, part of what I think can happen with kind of behavioral treatment and um, treatments like ketamine is 
not only is there that medicine healing effect, but there's also this experience of learning to trust your system again, mm -hmm. learning to build trust with the mm -hmm. part of you that's like, hey, we got a problem, mm -hmm. or it might be a problem, you need to check it out. Mm -hmm. Or, hey, we're just doing a systems check, because that happens too. Mm -hmm. You wake up, you're not feeling great, yeah. you have no idea why. Yeah. Systems check, you know, mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Well, that's, I, that, that, was, that was awesome, just, just hearing, I mean, again, as someone who is, again, not, uh, is not an expert in any, any regard in this field, it's, to me, it, it, it's, it seemed like for a while, like this field is something that is, there's a lot of like, we're still trying to figure out, uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of gray area, like there's a lot of unknowns, but you know, with that still being, there's obviously gray areas in so many different aspects of life, but what you just told me is that, yes, there are gray areas, but there are things that we can do and things that we are working on uh, and ways to uh, potentially solve or, or, or uh, positively impact uh, people in those positions. Uh, and that just, that, I don't know, that just makes me very, very hopeful uh, mm -hmm. just for, you know, the, the future of, of, again, like people my age that, uh, it's no secret that people my age and, and younger and in my generation, like mental health is uh, something that has been very much an issue. Uh, it's been, it's been, you know, the rates of, uh, of you know, suicide and, and, and uh, uh, mental disorders and things of that nature have only gone up uh, really with, mm -hmm. with people my age. And to hear that there are things that can be done and that are being researched into, like you said, so that we can assess, uh, you know, to know whether that, you know, whatever's going on in life is a, is a torpedo or a, or a, a school of fish or a, or a, a you know, whatever, uh, whatever mm -hmm. uh, may be coming our way. Um, that's really cool to hear. Uh, that's, that's awesome. And I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that you're, you're doing the work that you're doing. Glad that you and uh, everybody over at Revitalist is doing what they're doing. That's awesome to hear, man. That's, that's really cool. You know, speaking of definitely suicide rates have, have climbed in almost every population, mm -hmm. you know, 18 to 24, you know, 30 to 40 males, females, mm -hmm. um, it, it really has shot up. Mm -hmm. um, and ketamine actually happens to be, have anti-suicidal properties. I don't know if that's the right way well, to say yeah, it, but yeah. it has rapid anti-suicidal effects. I don't know of any other medicine that does that mm -hmm. without sedating someone completely, mm -hmm. you know, um, like an antipsychotic or something. Mm -hmm. I, I just never experienced, I worked yeah. in a psych hospital for many, many yeah. years and you know, there was medicines that we would give to calm people down from psychosis or mania, um, but but something that had just specifically anti-suicidal effects. I, and I, again, I could be wrong. I'm not a physician. Um, I wasn't. I wasn't aware of. Mm -hmm. um, so I have urged people to really consider ketamine mm -hmm. if they're in a suicidal crisis. Mm -hmm. um, because it can work almost instantaneously. Wow. And one infusion can help someone with suicidal ideation mm -hmm. for 10, seven, 10 days. Um, they found that in a study re released this year. It was, um, it was a, a, a longer study and had a pretty good population that they studied mm -hmm. um, and uh, found some pretty good results with suicidal ideation. Well, they only gave one to two infusions, and that's really because the standard of care hadn't evolved when they started the study. Mm -hmm. It was a pretty long-term long study. Yeah. So um, with 
you know, our standard of care, even if someone comes in just for suicidal ideation, would still be six infusions because of that durability effect. We don't want to just give them one and then call it a day. But, mm -hmm. you know, um, maybe one day at a, you know, at a hospital when someone, you know, calls and says they're suicidal, get picked up, mm -hmm. they go, they get an infusion at the hospital, and then they're then they're referred to some place like Revitalist mm -hmm. where they can continue those next five infusions yeah. um, and have a, a, you know, come in for an acute issue, but leave with a long-term, you know, solution where they're hooked up with a therapist mm -hmm. and, you know, where they're in a program or, and they've got this, you know, six infusions of ketamine on mm -hmm. their back too. Mm -hmm. So I'm really hopeful yeah. about the future and, yeah. and where we're going with, with treatment of mental health, mental illness. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Chris, I just wanna first and foremost, thank you for coming in. I really hope that anybody, I know that just me hearing someone, uh, I've never really gotten to speak with anyone who is uh, a professional in the field that you work in. It's been really interesting to hear your side of things, uh, to hear what you do and to hear that the good work that's going on. But I really hope uh, whoever hears this, uh, maybe uh, they're dealing with some trauma or some issue in their life uh, my hope is that our conversation today will have some positive impact on them. Maybe it'll allow them to reassess whatever's going on in their life. Maybe it'll uh, encourage them to go and seek the help that they need. Um, but overall, uh, I'm just I'm really excited for everyone to hear uh, just everything that we've been talking about today. And uh, I just want to first and foremost thank you for coming in today. Before we wrap everything up here, I always want to just give you the floor, uh, give the guests the floor. If there's any anybody you want to give a shout out to, anything that you want to talk about, anybody or anything that you've been working on that you want to uh, let the people know about before we, we close up shop here, uh, the floor is yours and I want to just give you a moment to say whatever you, you want, to, want to say here. Well, I mean, definitely come down and check us out. Yeah. Um, we're on Uptane Road uh, in, off of Brainerd. Mm -hmm. um, we took over the old Veterans Administration building mm -hmm. and that building moved a few miles um, north i think which is actually a really beautiful building mm -hmm. um but we're we're right there and right next to across the street from journey psychotherapy um we've worked really well with them um and uh there's it's a pretty up and coming area right now a lot of businesses moving into that area and um, I think we're seeing a lot of growth in mm -hmm. that off the Brainerd area. Yeah. So, yeah, come by, check us out, come for an assessment yeah. or just ask a question, yeah. give us a call. Awesome. And you said you work at, it's called Revitalist Clinic, mm -hmm. is that correct? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, Chris, thank you again for coming in. Thanks for I really, having me. Yeah, no problem. I really appreciate you taking the time to come in. I really hope that everybody who hears this, uh, whatever stage or phase of life they're in, uh, they'll get something out of the conversation and enjoy it. And uh, just again, thank you so much for coming in. Um, for any relevant you know, information for Chris and Revitalists and the work that they're doing, there'll be uh, links in the description of this episode. So if you want to check out him, the work that they're doing, uh, or if you're just curious about what's going on over there at Revitalist, then feel free to head down to the description down below uh, and, and see what's, what they got going on. Uh, but again, Chris, thank you for coming in. Really hope everybody enjoys it. And I hope that uh, you all will check us out on the next episode of The Third Seat. Thank you all for listening. <laughs>